Hello, football fans across the world, and welcome to the first ever episode of Total 90 with Dev. Let this podcast be your one-stop shop for all things football. I am your host, Devarth Dixit, and I am starting this podcast in hopes of bringing you entertainment that is 100% football-related, no matter who you are and where you are listening from. So, without further ado... Let the show begin. Now, since the Premier League kicked off this past weekend, most of our coverage for this week's episode will be heavily focused on the Premier League. But don't you worry, fans of other European soccer leagues, we will be covering other leagues once they get started. And there is mention of a PSG and a Borussia Dortmund game at the end of the podcast as well so stay tuned there's going to be great content that builds up to that so stick around if you don't enjoy premier league i don't know how you can but hey to each their own so the first game we're going to be covering today is arsenal versus fulham now you know how there's a running joke that you know it's the beginning of the season when Arsenal is at the top of the Premier League table because of how everything's arranged alphabetically, yada yada yada. Well, you know the joke might actually be on us this time because they actually finished the first week at the top of the table. Turns out the FA Cup and Community Shield winners meant business as they neatly tucked away newly promoted side Fulham. Their defense seemed reinforced with the newly purchased Gabriel Magalas and the absence of David Luiz, which I'm sure a lot of Arsenal fans appreciated. Wink, wink. Mikel Arteta seems to have grasped the hole on some tactics that seamlessly transition into a well-deserved win for the Gunners. I'm sure all Arsenal fans must have really enjoyed seeing Bird Leno back between the sticks after the injury he sustained against Brighton Hove Albion when the Premier League restarted, and a couple of other familiar faces in the squad for Arsenal. Lacazette seemed to be in good form when he gave Arsenal the lead from what seemed to be a scene straight out of FIFA that saw a shot from the Gunners' newly acquired winger Willian deflect off Mark Rodak and fall kindly into the number nine's right foot. It was basically game on for the Gunners from them. Fulham never quite seemed to get a grasp of the game as the newly acquired defender mentioned earlier, Gabriel would score on his debut, converting an in-swinger from his fellow Brazilian and the newly acquired winger for Arsenal, Willian from the corner spot. Willian would later set up Obama Young, who's beauty of a curler seems to be worth every penny of the new contract he just signed. So much for Arsenal being the retirement home of ex-Chelsea players, huh? But then again, you have William against David Luiz, and Luiz hasn't really been that great, and William's just starting out his Arsenal career, so let's see where that ends up. William did, temporarily for one game at least, put those rumors to rest, and Arsenal get a well-deserved Three points to kick off their season. Ooh, I hope that transition got your attention because if that didn't, you know what should have? Leeds United versus Liverpool. Champion versus champion. Marcelo Bisla versus the Klopp. This game was an 
absolute offensive slugfest. The championship's champions were going goal for goal against the Premier League champions. Now, being the start of the season, most of the goals seemed to be the result of sloppy defending on both ends. Leeds gave up the lead by conceding a penalty via a handball by their German defender Robin Koch within the first five minutes of the game. Mo Salah blasted through the middle. Seemed like it was going to be a regular thumping for the newly promoted side. But Liverpool, however, lost that lead in the 12th minute with some wonderful skill and a little luck from Jack Harrison, who managed to run right through Trent Alexander-Arnold, Meg Joe Gomez, and then nestled the ball calmly in the back of the net. There was good pressure from Leeds for a while, which seemed to be completely neutralized when Virgil van Dijk restored Liverpool's lead through a powerful header from a corner. Jan Meslier seemed to stand no chance during that set piece, and once again, his defense let him down. But, like I said before, this was an absolute slugfest, and Patrick Bamford, not one to be outdone, who was actually the highest scorer of the championship last year with 16 goals, wanted to get his name on the score sheet, and he did so by capitalizing on an error made by the, oh yeah, the oh-so-reliant Virgil van Dijk. Now, a fun fact, and maybe a little worrisome for all you Liverpool fans out there, Virgil van Dijk has actually made the most errors as a defender since the 2018 and 19 season that have resulted in opponent scoring. Huh, what do you know? But I guess his bros do outweigh his cons, huh? The game only stayed level for a few minutes, though, at 2-2 because a half-hearted clearance from an Andy Robertson free kick resulted in Mohamed Salah wonderfully controlling the ball with his right and smashing it in the top corner, restoring Liverpool's lead. What a display of attacking football as the first half ended in five goals between two of the clubs. Now, Marcelo Bizlo has been playing a very highly pressing attacking style of football for about a year with Leeds, so it's no doubt that he requires a high level of fitness from his Leeds United players. So it was to no one's surprise that Leeds came out on the front foot in the second half. And you know what? All of that pressure paid off for them when it resulted in a goal. Helder Costa delivered a sumptuous cross between two Liverpool center backs that Matsu's glitch beautifully set up for himself with a great first touch and smashed it in the top corner past Allison. Guess it's not just Mohamed Salah who has a sublime first touch. Although I do bet you that the Brazilian goalkeeper Allison did not think that he would be taking the ball out of the net that consistently when he was facing the newly promoted side. The game kind of eventually came to an end unceremoniously when Rodrigo Moreno, Lee's record signing by the way, made a lazy challenge on Fabinho that resulted in a last-minute penalty that Salah calmly tucked away. You hate to see that. Not a great debut for the Spaniard. Now, I'm pretty sure that all non-Liverpool supporters were hoping that Leeds would upset or grab a point at least for their efforts, but that was not to be the case. Needless to say, 
They have a promising team, and I am sure there is some great football coming our way from Marcelo Beasley and his boys. Fun fact, the last time Leeds United actually beat Liverpool, they won by a score of 4-3, with the Australian Mark Viduca actually scoring all four goals. Ironically, this time around, they would end up losing to Liverpool 4-3, with Mohamed Salah getting an early hat-trick and putting his name in the hat for the Golden Boot. There were many highlights of this game, but to me personally, the Greatest highlight was what all the commentators had to say about Marcelo Bisla. What a guy. My favorite story about him was the one where, so this is an article in a newspaper from Leeds, and here's what it reads. One day, a blue line just appeared on the streets of Weatherby, running from outside Marcelo Bisla's flat to the Leeds Thorpe Arch training ground. So it turns out that Bisla and his assistant painted a line from his house to the stadium so that when he cycled to work, the only thing he would have to focus on was football and not looking around while cycling so that he wouldn't get distracted. What an absolute mad lad. Needless to say, we can expect great things from the Argentine who won the 2004 Olympic gold medal with Argentina. I am sure he's put all other managers in the Premier League on the lookout. Next up, we have Tottenham versus Everton, a game that did not have as many goals as Liverpool and Leeds, but had great football nonetheless. Now, I'm a Manchester United fan, and it is absolutely devastating to see Everton make all the moves that you thought your club would, but hey, that's a part of being a fan of United, I guess. Every player under the sun is linked to your club, but then you end up getting absolutely no one. The Tottenham versus Everton game was actually the game that I was most looking forward to in match week one. Fun fact, this was the 11th time both of these teams were facing each other in a season opener, so quite a bit of history back there. Uh, Both teams had their new signings on display, and mind you, the new look Everton midfield were in a mood to wreak some havoc. They retained most of the possession during the first half, which bode well for them, but I am sure Marino wasn't too upset about it, as you may figure it out by now. He likes to rely mostly on capitalizing on counterattacks against the run of play. It was good to see Andre Gomez back after his horrific injury. Um, In case you didn't know, his injury that did happen was with... uh, Hingmin's son and Martin Atkinson was refereeing that game and coincidentally all three parties were involved on the pitch again but regardless it was great to see him back and run in that midfield. The first half saw both teams create many chances but no one seemed to want to take the lead. The best chance came for Richarlison when a misjudged back pass from Ben Davis saw him intercept the ball dribble past Hugo Lloris, and then just blast it over the goal. A little selfish on the Brazilian's end because had he lifted his head and passed the ball over to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who had made an excellent run, it would have been a simple tap-in that would have given them the lead. Richarlison would be very busy for the rest of the game, keeping both Matt Doherty and Emil Hoiberg, the new boys in whites, on their toes 
all game long. Hoiberg was so frustrated by Richarlison's antiques and dribbling that he nearly saw himself sent off with a clattering challenge on the Toffees number seven that resulted in him getting a yellow that could have been argued to be turned into a red. The only goal in this game came through a bullet header from the aforementioned Dominic Clivert-Lewin from an inviting set piece delivered by Everton's fullback, Lucas Digne. Since joining for the Toffees, no other defender across Europe's top five leagues has created more chances in league play than Digne. His countryman in the opposing goal, Hugo Lloris, stood no chance whatsoever. Fun fact about the French skipper is that he has only won two trophies in his career, the French Cup and the World Cup. I believe the latter probably has a higher place of reverence on his mantle. And since he plays for Tottenham, maybe those are the only two trophies he'll probably have for the rest of his career. But hey, who knows? Hopefully the Spurs can grab one this year. The game seemed to be dictated by the Toffees' newly acquired midfield consisting of Ismail Decore, James Rodriguez, and Allen. I was personally most impressed by Allen, and I believe that his addition will help in Everton's push for a European spot. No one had more tackles than him in the last three Serie A seasons, and his defensive chops were definitely on display during this game. The Brazilian never seemed to stop running. Everton secured their hard-earned three points, and Ancelotti must have been happy to prevail Moreno after losing his last four games against the Chosen One. Everton is my team to watch for this season, so let's see how this newly acquired midfield turns out for them. Next on the agenda, we have Sheffield United versus Wolverhampton. Both teams exceeded expectations last season by performing well and finishing in the top half of the table. The Wolves especially did really well in the Europa League, making it up to the knockout stages where they were eventually knocked out by Sevilla, who did go on to win on the trophy for like the hundredth time or so, so Don't be too disheartened, Wolves fans. It is unfortunate that they will miss out on European football this season as they finished seventh and Arsenal's win over Chelsea in the FA Cup eliminated them from Europa qualifiers. I am sure they will try to contend for those spots yet again this year and might actually do better since not playing in Europe means their squad won't be as fatigued and better rested. The Wolves, having not played any friendlies before the start of the season, seemed to be well-rested enough. They were so well-rested that they actually came out guns blazing and took a commanding 2-0 lead within the first six minutes of the game. That was the fastest any team has ever scored two goals on opening day at the beginning of a game. Jimenez beautifully side-footed the first goal, placing it over the Blades' new goalie, Aaron Ramsdale, and Roman Saiz beautifully tucked away a header from a corner to put the Wolves up by two. 
Now, this was definitely not the debut Ramsdale was hoping for after his recent move from relegated Bournemouth to replace Dean Henderson, who is now back with his parent club, Manchester United. Sheffield United also had a great defensive record last year where they concealed the fourth least amount of goals after Liverpool and the two Manchester clubs. I have a feeling that Dean Henderson may have had a lot to do with that. The game pretty much followed the same pattern after the first six minutes. Sheffield tried to take advantage of their height and continued crossing the ball into the box looking for the strikers McBurney and Sharp, but the Wolves defending helped stave off every attempt made by Sheffield. As usual, Adama Traore wreaked havoc down the wings with some excellent runs and shots at goals. Nothing new for Nuno Esparuto Santo as the boys from Molyneux grabbed their first three points of the season. Over the course of the weekend, a lot of clubs had their stars shining bright, but no other club would have wanted their stars to shine brighter than Chelsea. It wasn't surprising to see Timo Werner and Kai Havertz make their debuts for the Blues. What was surprising was that Kepa got to start the game in spite of the fact that the not-so-well-hidden rumors are swirling around that Frank Lampard wants to replace him. Hakim Ziyech, Ben Chilwell, and Thiago Silva are yet to gain match fitness, but might make their debuts on Sunday when the Blues face the defending champions Liverpool at Stamford Bridge. The game did not start the way most Chelsea fans thought it would. Brighton and Hove were actually in the driver's seat for a most part of the first half. However, an error by Steven Alzate led to Giorgino picking his pocket and finding Timo Werner, who used his outrageous pace to get past Matt Ryan, but was eventually brought down by the goalie straight foot. Giorgino calmly tucked away the penalty, giving the visitors a lead. Giorgino's run-up was eerily similar to Bruno Fernandes, so I am assuming that this is a technique that a lot of footballers have taken a likeness to because of the results and, I guess, how easy it is to fake out a goalkeeper when you take a penalty in that manner. But moving on, there was good pressure by Brighton, and mention must be made of a former Chelsea player who now plays for Brighton, Tarek Lamptey. Lamptey kept testing the Chelsea defense from the right, making excellent runs and delivering crosses into the box that honestly should have been converted by Mope. He would eventually go on to bag an assist on the equalizer that Leandro Trossard blasts past Kepa, beating the Spaniard on his lower right corner. Not a good look for Kepa, who was beaten from outside the box again. Since his arrival, he has conceded the most amount of goals from outside the box and has the worst save percentage of all goalkeepers in the league. 50%. So if you basically take a shot at Kepa, you have a 50-50 chance of scoring or missing. So I guess the odds are in your favor if you are a striker facing Kepa. The equalizer, however, was short-lived as Reese James almost ripped the net off the post with a blistering shot that restored Chelsea's lead and gave the right back his first Premier League goal of his career. And what a way to bag it. 
It was pretty much game over after that when Kurtzuma bagged a goal off of a deflection from a corner in the 66th minute. Now, Brighton looked promising on the attack, but the Chelsea defense with Conte were able to snuff out any attempts they made. The defense did look a bit shaky at the back and could have definitely used reinforcements in the form of the newly acquired Thiago Silva. Although the new stars were not exactly out for Chelsea, they did manage to get their three points, and this should set up a good game for this Sunday against the former champs after the last one, if you remember, ended in a heated argument between the Klopp and Super Frank. Definitely going to be a great game to look out for. Alright, by now I'm sure we're all pretty tired from hearing all about the Premier League. So, let me take you on a journey to France where the Le Classique ended up with a total of 12 yellow cards and 5 red cards. There was only one thing that could have made this game better. And we got that in the form of legendary commentator Ray Hudson. Thomas Tuchel and his boys were hoping for a bounce back after their COVID-ridden squad saw them lose key players and all three points against newly promoted side Lens. Marseille, however, had other plans and came to upset. After a controversial denial of a penalty to PSG in the opening minutes, Marseille take the lead right before halftime with a beautiful set piece delivered by Dimitri Payet that found Florian Tauvin, who neatly tucked the ball past Sergio Rico. PSG were pretty much on the attack after that, forcing some exceptional saves from Steve Mandanda, who rose up to the occasion. However, Marseille would have the best chance to go forward in the game. It would have been two goals up had Paris Saint-Germain not been saved by an offside call where Thalvin actually seemed to be completely onside. His shot bounced off Sergio Rico to Dario Benedetto, who smashed it down the middle only to see it be canceled by an egregious offside call by the linesman. Now that was pretty much the game. What the most entertaining aspect of it was the brawl that ensued in the last few minutes. I'm going to take you through a play-by-play of what happened. I'm going to be talking really fast, so if you don't follow, I'm not going to blame you because there is a lot, and I myself could not follow what I was saying in the beginning. So I'm going to try my best. Here we go. It starts with Neymar pushing Alvaro Gonzalez, who is protecting the ball in a bid to waste some time towards the end of the game. Neymar pushes him and they keep exchanging words all while Steve Mandanda takes the goal kick. Once he takes the goal kick, Leonardo Pardes pushes Benedetto and then gets up and headbutts Alvaro Gonzalez. This is followed by Levin Kurzawa running in who actually looked like he was going to be a mediator but then ends up punching Jordan Amavi. The two of them, according to Ray Hudson, exchanged some kicks and fisticuffs. Following this, Neymar Jr. slapped Alvaro in the back of the head. Now, my favorite thing during this entire brawl was how the referee, Jerome Broussard, just 
stood by the side and watched everything unfold. And once it was all settled, he just went around handing out cards like he was Oprah. You get a card. You get a card. You get a card. And, oh, why don't I check with VAR? Oh, Neymar, you also get a red card. It was a very controversial ending to a highly contested game. And Marseille get their first win over PSG in the last 20 games. Later on, Neymar did say he reacted the way he did because of the racist comments made by Alvaro Gonzalez. However, Gonzalez denies making any of those comments. Hopefully, the League of Uber Eats Football Association will investigate the claims further. And, oh yes, that's exactly what the League of is called now. It wasn't enough for them to slap the name of the sponsors in the front and on the back and on the sleeves of the jersey. They went ahead and slapped it right on the name as well. It's pretty tough for any other game to follow what just ensued in the Le Classique, but we're going to round up today's podcast with a coverage of the first rounds of the DFB poll call that saw MSV Doisberg take on Borussia Dortmund. Doisberg were pretty much out of it after they conceded a penalty in the 14th minute that Jaden Sancho calmly puts away in his 100th appearance for the club. If you are a Manchester United fan like me, let's keep hoping he joins us by October 5th and he just might join us October 5th in the next five years or so. Sancho, however, would not be the only Englishman to appear on the score sheets. 17-year-old Jude Bellingham finds himself on the sheets after being neatly set up by Torgan Hazard on his Dortmund debut. Erling Haaland did make his present felt as he won two free kicks for his side within scoring distance and both were converted. The first by the aforementioned Hazard where the goal provider turned scorer and the second by one young American by the name of Gio Reyna. Definitely some youngsters to look out for in the Dortmund squad. The cherry on the cake for the Dortmund performance came in the form of a Marco Royce scoring after just being on the pitch for 35 seconds. This was the first appearance in seven months, and I'm sure all BVB fans were happy to see him as they hoped to challenge Bayern Munich for the German Shield yet again. Well, folks, that is officially a wrap on the first episode of Total 90 with Dev. Be sure to give us some feedback where we do apologize for some of the microphone work and some audio editing. But yeah, give us your feedbacks and we only hope to improve moving forward. Enjoy the next week of football and we will see you once again, same place, same time next week.